everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. And if you're watching this versus listening to it, you will see me happily talking but not being heard because I was unaware that my audio had gone south. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to fill in what I was doing at that time, which was an intro for my guest, which was the author by the name of Mario J. Becerra. He's written a book. A haunted East Los Angeles and uh, Mar was born and raised in East LA and he graduated from Cal State with a degree in English and in his spare time he spends time with his family dances tango and write ghost stories uh, which I explained further on one of the things I like about um, interviewing authors who write stories about their hometown so here we go I'm gonna patch this up and luckily I was able to realized that my audio was not working. So here we go, guys. The school called Stevenson Middle School, it was originally called uh, Stevenson Junior High School. Actually, I actually attended this school when I was uh, uh, you know, a teenager. But um, there was someone who went in in the middle of the night because you, you hear, you know, my dad walks around this school just so I can bring it to a, to a, a personal level. My dad walked around this school to get his exercise. You know, he's older and he wants to get his exercise. because He lives right, ne right next to it. And he told me that he hears little kids laughing, you know, like at 8, 9 o'clock at night when it's dark. And he's like, you know, there's no one there. It's completely dark. And these are little kids. They're not teenagers. Uh, so that piqued my curiosity. And I started, my cousin Victor, which helped me research the book, uh, he started asking some questions because he's, he's a lot more involved in the paranormal community and that's a group of folks that went in there late at night because they had also heard the stories about these children and they played the Ouija board and, and in, in playing the Ouija board they got responses from the children which who they thought were the children uh, and one of them was how did you guys they asked the question how did you die and they responded in a fire so we've been, we we try to find, uh, you know, like in the almanac or the history of that area, uh, you know, a record of a fire. Well, we haven't been able to find anything. Um, but these children are very, they're very playful. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not, um, they're not evil. They're children. And even, even uh, interviewing the janitors and people like that, they even told us that, yeah, these children play tricks on them where, you know, the visitors, they, you know, they stay at night, the night crew, and they'll go in to clean the, the gym, and the water, the water will turn on, and they'll hear laughing and running. And, and the janitor is so used to it that it doesn't scare him anymore, and now he reprimands him. He says, you guys need to stop doing that because I, I, need, I need to finish up my work. It's... it's yeah. Because he's so used to it. He says it happened so much that it, it's not even... When it first happened, of course, it scared the bejesus out of me. But now that it happens so often, you, you get, you, you, he says you'd be amazed at what human beings get used to. Uh, so he's gotten used to the children. Uh, at the school, too, this is a more insidious uh, haunting. There's a, what they call a shadow person that, yeah, that lurks in, on, in the gym area. And people have seen them, and I like I like to 
I like it when, when the stories come from people that don't know each other. Because Yes, you know what? I think that lends a lot of validity when like you said, it's like, hey, there was no no two people that said, Hey, let you you know, they they got together on it. Like there's no connection between them whatsoever. Right, right. So there's when with that corroboration you begin to think, yeah, maybe there is something going on here, but yet people have reported seeing this really tall, like eight, nine foot shadow man uh, wow. kind of lurking on the sides of the of the gym. And it's always accompanied with a lot of fear. They always feel a lot of fear when they see him. I bet. Uh, and you so said this is just a, is this is this is you said it was just a middle school? <clears throat> yeah, it's just a middle school in East LA. Uh and it's it's you know, I guess it just comes alive at night. <laughs> and how long is it like an older school? How long has it been there? It's been there I wanna say since the nineteen twenties. So yeah, it's it's been okay. there for a little while. Yeah, that's it's going almost it'll soon be a hundred years. A lot of things happen in a hundred years. Absolutely. And um you know, I, the reason why I asked you also is because you know, and, and I'm sure you're aware of it, especially when you do the research. You know, we get used to because of what, how modern day or, you know, when I say recent, you know, between newspapers, magazines, now the Internet, just about everything somehow or other gets noted. But back then, a lot of things would happen that not necessarily was ever recorded. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. But, um, you know, if you try to do the research and let's say you're trying, like you were, you were saying, you know, we have these reports of these little children that are heard laughing and either by people that are, you know, walking, like your dad, you know, walking around the perimeter or people that work there, all right? And and like you said, that you had that Ouija board uh, thing where they're saying they died by fire. And I'm sure if you try to research it, you might, you might not find it. Uh, a lot of things sometimes happen that not necessarily, even though the newspapers picked up on a lot of stuff, there was other stuff that sometimes just um, couldn't be accounted for or... Uh, you know, sometimes if it wasn't the actual school, it was something that was there before, maybe a house that used to sit on that land and it's, you know, it burnt down. And, right, right. You know, they built the, they, they, they used the land for the school. That happens a lot. Uh, back, especially back then, you know, when, um, you know, when a lot more houses were built from wood or highly flammable or people, you know, with light with candles and things like that you hear about it all the time of big fires like sometimes taking out half the city and things like this um and uh like i said i know that there's a lot of the stories that are so well known did you um did you ever have you know how some neighborhoods have the haunted house in their neighborhood did you did you have one like that in the area that you lived in the spooky old haunted house kind of thing. Um, yeah, we kind of did. My my aunt Gloria also lives in East LA. Uh, okay. Right next door to her, there was an abandoned house. Okay. And I don't know if because it was abandoned, we thought it was haunted. Um, but it, it just it just had a spooky feel to it, and a lot of the kids would, well, teenagers would go in and. You know, right. play around them, and they always, I, you know, they always said that they used to hear things, or that there was supposedly there was a man who uh, they would see hanging off of one of the, you know, one of the door door stops. 
Wow. But, you know, I mean, I never saw anything. My cousins and I went in there. We never saw anything. But, yeah, there was definitely that house. Yeah, I know. That. That's what I was saying. There's always a house. One of two things, like you said, it's either been abandoned and it stays abandoned and it gets that spooky and, you know, and after a while everybody, you know, like it takes on a life of its own. And other times, you know what, the things happen in certain houses uh, where either, either you have murders or suicides and people afterwards are scared to move in them. And then, of course, from then on, it again, they get that bad reputation. Sometimes with good reason, right. other times not. Um, sometimes, you know, you have certain houses where, let's say if they're a rental property, you know, people like, it's like a revolving door of, of renters. And then eventually the word gets out that there's something going on in the house, that it's haunted or something's going on. Um, right. You also, you live in the area where Ramirez was captured in, the, the serial killer, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I grew up, yeah, East L.A., he was captured right, I lived on Princeton Street, mm-hmm. and he was captured right on Hubbard Street, which is a, the the street right right next to Princeton. Uh, I remember that day very vividly because I was outside playing. I was only like six years old mm-hmm. at the time. Okay. And the helicopters, I remember, just started circling, maybe three or four helicopters, and I, I got scared. So my mom ran out. And my grandfather, and they said, hey, they, you know, like, uh, they said in Spanish, they caught the killer. Right. And so we walked over, which was only a block away, and by the time we got there, they already had him in handcuffs in the cop car, wow. and he was bandaged up because they had, they had beaten him uh, pretty badly. But there was a line to see him, and we got in line, and we saw him, and then we just we went home. But, uh, yeah, that guy, that guy was super scary. No, he... <laughs> You know what, everybody, of course, you know, because of his thing with, uh, you know, that he was a Satanist or, you know, he said he was a Satanist or blah, blah, blah. I think to myself, yeah, that's all good and dandy. But just the fact that you're going around and you're cold-bloodedly killing people, you know, I don't care what you believe in. That's that's the part that's scary as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Regardless Absolutely. of, of what, you, what your belief systems are, you know. Uh, and um, he already passed away, right? I believe not too long ago. Yeah, he passed away a, a couple of years ago from a B-cell lymphoma. He said that when he died, he was the color of a green highlighter. Really? But, uh, yeah, he, he died in a in a state hospital near San Quentin where he was housed. Yeah, because I believe, what was it? Uh, they didn't have the, the death sentence already in California by the time he got arrested, right? I'm not sure. I know that there was around that, that they had repealed it, I believe. And that's why... Uh, People like that, you know, and did, was he, did he ever say anything as far as, um, you know, sometimes, because I've never really followed too much of what happened to him after he got arrested and he went into the jail system. But, you know, you'll have some of these murderers, like let's say Son of Sam, who now, you know, uh, is quote unquote a model prisoner and has a ministry and blah, 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 even though he's never going to see the the streets again, did he ever express any type of remorse or anything? You know, I saw, I saw an interview that he did when he was in prison, maybe 15 years into his sentence, Right. where this reporter starts asking him, you know, did you kill these people? And 
you know, he didn't say, he would say, I cannot comment on that because of my appeal. Uh, so the reporter's like, so did you kill him or not? And he's like, again, I cannot comment on that because of my appeal. Uh, but he started spouting a bunch of, you could tell they were lines that he had thought up and he had rehearsed. Okay. And, you know, things like, you know, serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large scale. Oh, uh, right. okay. Yeah, so, then, all right. Yeah, in other words. Yeah, so he, uh-huh. Yeah. So he was definitely trying to justify what, what he did. And then they asked him, you know, do you consider yourself evil? And he says, yeah, I think all of us are evil in one way or another. Uh, so things like that. Uh, so I, I never heard of him expressing remorse or, you know, anyone who ever talked to him or got interviewed say he ever expressed remorse for what he did. Doesn't sound like it. And I was going to tell you that that line about we're all evil, that's very much sounds like um, Luciferianism, uh, where they kind of look at all mankind as evil, like you know, I'm not the odd man out because in reality we're all bad. Again, it right. doesn't point much to the fact that he doesn't sound like he was remorseful. He was just probably sorry he got caught. Um, and well, I mean, let us say for the sake of argument that we all are evil in one way or another. We're not all out there killing people. No, you know? well, so. no, of course we're not. Nobody's. It, 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 because I guess what I'm saying is, of course, people, you know, there's some people that do bad things, like what you said, but don't murder somebody. We're not all perfect. But I think that the line in the sand is when you take the life of another human being, especially when you're taking the life of another human being who you have nothing against. You know, there's no love, revenge, hate. You know how sometimes people get into disputes. It's a love thing or a revenge thing or yeah. he was killing people that he had, you know, there was nothing there for him to say you know what they call the crimes of passion in the old days it's like right. that's being very very cold-blooded and to me that's that's the line in the sand where okay you step over that and as far as i'm concerned you're in the evil category sorry <laughs> because yeah there's no way to justify that it really isn't um and i'm i'm glad he was uh i'm glad he was caught and you know and he was not out there doing any more harm to people, uh, and 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 I know that a lot of times there's a, um, there's a I, I work with a network uh, that uh, you know deals with um, either unidentified victims, you know, when they find skeletal remains, uh, yes, or people that are missing that have never been found, and it's incredible how many people are out there that go missing and are never found, or vice versa that the remains are never found. And they have no idea who this person is. And uh, a lot of times, I would say about 80% of the times, they've met their ends because somebody murdered them. You know, in other words, they didn't go under a tree and die. They uh, they were killed and they were dumped. And unfortunately, there's no way to, to uh, identify them for whatever reason. And that happens, you know. So that's why I'm saying I'm glad somebody like him got caught and put in jail. But let's get back to the paranormal stuff. And the reason, and even though I think those two things, Mario, sometimes go hand in hand, and I say it before, because a lot of these deeds, uh, what these people, sometimes they do create active 
hauntings, you know, especially by some of these victims or a victim that's never found. And or uh, I think which would be the scariest if you have one of these serial killers who comes back in spirit form. I think that's got to be the most terrifying thing to think of uh, as far as because everybody always thinks, well, what happens to these serial killers once they die? Depending on your belief, do you know? Do they do they go to hell? Are they taken into heaven? Or what if they're scared and they hang out in that in-between state uh, and they go back to haunt some of the places that they used to either work, you know, be more comfortable at? Whether, as a matter of fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I heard, I don't know, I want to say it's a little bit longer. I'm saying two or three months, maybe like in September, uh, an article came out about Ted Bundy's childhood home and there was some type of contractor working in there and he was saying that he thinks it was haunted because of all the things that were going on. And uh, I was like, well, that's 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 a, not uh, that's not unusual when you think about it because these are very disturbed people. Um, and did you... Um, let me ask you, when you grew up, Mario, what was... And the reason why I ask is, what was your family's um, attitude about the paranormal or about ghosts? Was it... No, that doesn't exist. Yes, it does, but let's not talk about it. <laughs> no, they were they were very open to it, and you know, honestly, it was one of the things. I, you know, we we like all families, we have our problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we used to bond over ghost stories from from especially from Mexico because my family comes from Mexico, mm-hmm. and you know, when we would, it was a one time that the kids and the adults would would really connect because, you know, as a kid, you normally don't want to hear what adults have to say because it right. just bores you because <laughs> adults are boring. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, we'd have our family barbecues, we'd eat, and then, you know, maybe one of my aunts starts to tell a story. Oh, you know, when I lived in Guadalajara, I remember this time I saw your uncle who had been dead for 10 years. And I told him, you know, what are you doing here? So naturally, when those stories would start, right. us kids would want to sit around and listen to, you know, what the adults had to say because yeah. naturally it was really fascinating. Uh, so yeah, and my family was very open to it, and we really enjoyed. Well, the adults really enjoyed telling the stories about the paranormal, and we really enjoyed listening to it as kids. Right. So it wasn't like, uh, because, you know, I've heard of some people, sometimes they have experiences when their children and their pa- the parents or their family are like, don't talk about that again. It was just your imagination. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Right, right. And, um, yeah, it, it, in other words, it, it doesn't, um, and I know you translated, you did a Spanish version of this book, which is the equivalent right. of, uh, um, el, el, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember, Embrujada, el, I'm sorry, I, f- I forgot how you translated the title. Casas Embrujadas. Uh, el es, el este de Los Ángeles Embrujado. Embrujados, okay. And um, how has that done? Because I know that uh, his Hispanics, the belief in the in ghosts and in fantasmas and things like this, are it has a, its own different flavor um, as far as... Uh, and like you said, and and I, uh, that people have long memories, either for houses or for family stories or things of this nature, where 
uh, that or you know people talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and even 50 or 60 years old that certain house has this reputation or like you said you know your grandfather your grandmother had this um how has the book done the, the spanish translation i mean we've sold some copies mm-hmm. uh reason we did it is because i mean i grew up in a house where we didn't speak english until i was five years old when i started going to school right and if you know anything about east l.a there's a i mean it's Everyone speaks Spanish in right, Italy, right, by exactly. Art. So, I mean, to write a book like Haunted East Los Angeles and not translate it into Spanish, yeah, uh, it just wouldn't make sense to me because, you know, so many people speak Spanish, and I wanted, you know, the Spanish-only speaking community to also okay. partake in these discussions because we, I do book talks uh, at the local libraries, and you know, believe it or not, a lot of people would show up and. We end up having these really rich and dense conversations about about the paranormal and uh, just bonding with complete strangers over stories uh, in English and in Spanish. Which is, it was a great bonding experience for, for, for some community members, including myself. Haven't you heard, I don't know about you, but I've in my experience, usually at stuff like that, you hear the most interesting stories from people that are usually very down-to-earth. And when they tell you these things, they're very believable. I mean, it's like, and they tell you these stories and you're like, wow, uh, that's incredible. And sometimes things that happen to them when they were children, other times, you know, as an adult. And sometimes it's just that, it's just one or two experiences. It doesn't, it's not like a lifelong thing of, of experiences, but it's something that, that you never forget when they, you know, when people tell those stories. Which to me personally, uh, you know, since I've been working, you know, I've been doing paranormal research since the 1990s. And God knows I've heard a million different stories about different things, you name it. And there's always a quality that you get from certain people that tell those stories where it's uh, an isolated incident. But sometimes they're either the most interesting or the most disturbing in some cases, depending on what the nature of the story is. Uh, did you ever run across anybody, let's say, at one of these talks that um, that gave you some more information into any of the stories that you were already working on? Um, yeah, yeah. On the stories we were working on, I mean, the Linda Vista one for sure. We had people show up and tell us because I never got to tour it uh, mm-hmm. when it was open, when it was still, um, you know, Linda Vista hospital paranormal enthusiasts mecca you know i didn't get the tour then. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay but a lot of people that came to the book talks are like yeah I, I got to tour it and they would tell me their experiences and i think wow that's that's really amazing i mean one guy came in and started telling us complete skeptic uh-huh. i took a tour and he said you know we went in and i swear this ball of light just started forming right in front of me and then it was growing and growing and growing and I couldn't believe what I was looking at so I asked my buddy do you see what I'm seeing he says yeah what the hell is that and this ball of light just started dancing around and it just shot away and it just disappeared and he said I you know like you said I can't rationalize it Mm -hmm. I mean there was no light in there It was the middle of the night where would that ball of light come from 
But he says, I saw it plain as day. It was a ball of light. It was bright, and it just, it was moving around, and then it just shot away. And he says, you know, I know, he says, I know that's not an amazing, like, oh, I saw a full-bodied apparition. He says, but you got to understand, I was a complete skeptic, and to see something like that made me a believer, because there was no way I I was going to explain that scientifically or in, you know, other than I don't know what, what the heck that was. And see, that's the thing where that's what I'm saying, that when these people have these experience, even if, like you, like he said, it doesn't have to be a full body operation, but there's something that once you go through this mental checklist of what could it be to explain it, and you know that none of them apply, and then what you're left with is the paranormal. It's like, I can't lie to myself, that kind of deal. And then that's yeah, when they I mean, have to. These are folks that, um, you know, some people, I've met people who jump to conclusions right away. Oh, it's paranormal. And it's yeah. like, uh, you know, there's other rational, there could be other explanations for it. But I've also met very, uh, um, people who aren't very excitable, who, like you just said, you know, they go through, well, it could have been this. No, no, no. I don't know what it was. I mean, it might be something that's not of this earth or not explainable through just fact or reason or, or logic. So, yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly like you said. Um, people arrive, you know, when you don't, you don't have an answer, uh, naturally you open your, yourself up to the possibility that it could be a ghost or something. Have you, have you gone uh, before or are, are you going out with any paranormal groups uh, just to go with them or do you have your, a group that you belong to already? You know, I, I really don't. I really don't. Um, when I wrote the book, mm-hmm. I wrote it um, because I wanted to bond with my cousin. Okay. So, because he's really into it. He came to my office, and he would tell me all these great stories. And I thought, man, you know what? Why don't you keep telling me these stories, and I'll, I'll sit down and I'll write them. Oh, and that's great. So he did and that's that's kind of how I came into the paranormal community. I mean, I wasn't really involved before. Okay. And I don't I don't really go out with groups to do uh, ghost hunts or to try to get EVPs. Mm-hmm. I've done it once or twice, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I get asked for interviews a lot or to do book talks, but I never get asked to come along on a ghost hunt. <laughs> Well, you know what? I know some authors that sometimes what they do is they just go there. In other words, um, almost like a witness. You know, something happens, great. I'm there and I capture it, especially depends on where they're going. And other times, which I know from personal experience, it's really boring because nothing happens. Or if they capture something, it's after the fact where they start reviewing, you know, their footage or whatever. But I know some authors that, you know, especially if it's like a, a group that's, you know, professional and well-established and they're going to some interesting place, they kind of hang out and they're like the, uh, you know, like the reporter, the journalist in the group, like I'm going to be there and I'm in case you guys have a, a, a great moment coming on because, and I tell this all the time, the supernatural is not an on-demand thing. Sometimes you go there, nothing happens. And then other times you arrive right at the perfect time as in the, the date that you're there and Luckily, you know, you capture a lot of stuff right in your face. Doesn't You don't even have to wait to to get back. But a lot of times you don't. Contrary to what they show on the TV shows, it's you go a lot of times and it's like, you know, you're falling asleep because it's just nothing materializes. 
Um, do you have another book planned? Are you going to do any more? So I imagine there's got to be a lot of places out there in East LA they've got. Uh, you know, I. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. That I, I imagine there's a lot of places out there that have got a reputation uh, for either being haunted or things going on. And yeah, yeah, there there are a lot of places, um, and I've been wanting to work on another book. I just I am so busy. I run I, I run businesses and I have two boys. Oh God. Uh, and uh, but you know. Like what I like about Haunted East LA a lot is that a lot of these locations people didn't know about. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of want to do the same thing with the next book. Oh, yeah. You know, there, I mean, there are a lot of great places in LA, but I really don't want to do the famous ones. I want to do the, oh, the less no, well-known. No, no, that's exactly what I'm getting to. That is that to me. I'm telling you because that's another thing. I've read books left, right, back. That I mean, you name it. And it's like after a while, and I'm sure you've seen it, they, the same spots, point, uh, case in point, uh, Linda Vista Hospital, where everybody and their second cousin has done, you know, gone and done the show on it and things like that. To me, after a while, what I want to hear about or I want to see is what are these haunted locations, whether it's a historic site or somebody's house or like you had that school that it's usually the people that live in the area or the paranormal groups that work in the area which know about them. Okay. Uh, those to me are the most interesting, uh, especially because to me there's just an air validity to them. Even though I will be perfectly honest with you, as far as not Linda Vista, any hospital, whether it's a hospital, a prison, an insane asylum, those look you don't have to investigate it i can tell you without going that it's going to be haunted it is it's just because of the type of people that at some point were housed there or spent time there or the events that took place there it's almost a given you're going to have some type of intelligent haunting you know it's interesting though to go and you know and capture evidence but like that that's um that example that you gave of that middle school you know yeah, you had your dad walking around the perimeter, and all he's doing is just walking for his health, and he's listening to uh, children laugh. And he's like, oh. and after a while, you realize where could it be coming from? And right. I'll give you a, a perfect example. One time, I used to work many years ago, back in the 1980s. Used to walk, we used to work in a big building, and it was across the street was a mall, like the back end of the mall. In other words, and of course, us girls we would take our lunch hour and we would cross over and go shopping. And I remember it was like two or three of us. uh, It's the middle of the day on a weekday. So the mall was full, but not really that full. And where we would go through the parking lot was kind of, wasn't that many cars per se. And as we're crossing in the middle of the parking lot, we start hearing a baby crying, like crying. And I remember it took us for a minute because, you know, we're all talking, left, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, we all look, because we all had kids. We all stop and we look at each other and we're like, God, that's a baby crying. And we were like, like where's the baby? What? You know, we're looking like, all look, because, and it, it's not like a muffled crying. It was distinctly a child crying, like a baby, not a child, a baby. And we're all looking around us across the street. We're looking, we're looking. There was, we looked around at some of the cars, but we're thinking, 
there was no baby. There was, and all right. of a sudden, as it, you oh. know how when children cry, they cry and then they kind of like go down, like, eh, you know, they kind of, it went from crying, crying, all, and then it just stopped, like stopped, in, like not a whimpering, it stopped. And I remember we were there. We didn't want to leave. We were like, "What? there's a baby here. Something's going on. Somebody." We weren't thinking nothing paranormal, by the way. We were thinking we were hearing a real kid, a baby crying in the middle of a parking lot of a shopping center. Um, and that happened to us a couple of times. And I, I can't account for it. Nobody could account for it. And like I said, and this was in broad daylight. This was in the middle of the afternoon. Okay, there was no school nearby. There was no daycare. There was nothing. Um, it was like a corporate kind of area. And what I'm saying is that there was uh, office buildings, and then next to it was a mall. So there's no houses, nothing where this baby's cry is gonna travel. What? Which, by the way, that's another thing. Uh, it it's it was very loud. It was like, almost like right next to us. And that's one of the things I think that after a while it just broke into our conversation. So that's what I'm saying. When you hear to me, you know, stories like that, when people have those very, uh, what I call down to earth stories, those are the ones that for me are sometimes have the most val validity. They're the most disturbing. They're the ones that, you know, if you have any doubts or if you are a non believer in the paranormal, these are the ones that make you want to stop and say, okay, if I don't out and out believe in it, in the supernatural, at least I'm going to leave that door open because I there might be something there that happens once we die as far as the human spirit is concerned anyway. So, yes. Yeah. I hope you do another book like that because I think that we, I love those types of books. I love those types of books. And um, let me ask you, uh, when you... Um, when you grew up and and uh and and you know like you said what is it you grew up in that same neighborhood throughout your for a lot of years in that same location right yes okay uh, as far as uh did they have and i'm asking this because i know sometimes did they have uh any type of hmm how can I say it? Uh, was there any, and, and the reason why I ask is sometimes, you know, how kids grow up that they're, uh, they're kind of scared sometimes with like a certain type of boogeyman. Everybody's got a different one. Sometimes it's uh, some, somebody that was in the neighborhood, like a certain guy's going to get you. Did you guys ever have anything like that out there in East LA that you guys were scared out of, scared with when you were growing up, especially when you're young? I'm talking about children. You know, we had... <clears throat> Um, and, you know, I'm kind of conflicted to tell this story because this is a, a human being we're talking about. Okay. Uh, but there was a lady, which we don't know what her deal was, but everyone was afraid of her. Okay. Uh, when you would walk to school, she lived on, I want to say a corner house, this old dilapidated house. Okay. And they, her nickname was La Cebolla. Which oh, my translates God, the onion. <laughs> the onion, yes. La Cebolla. And she would come out if you got near her house, and she would start just, just going, just losing it. Really? You know, and it looked like she wanted to attack you, and 
you know, everyone, I mean, she became really famous. Uh, La Cebolla is going to get you. So, I mean, that's probably the closest thing we had. But let me tell you something. It probably worked because you knew La Cebolla really existed. Oh, man, La Cebolla. Yeah, La Cebolla. <laughs> was, I mean, as kids, we didn't know. I mean, we used to get scared, though, when she would come out. I bet she's probably suffering from some type of mental illness or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, when you're I'm a sure kid, I'm telling you, that'll scare you. That'll scare you. That's a good story. That's a great story, you know that. And I know where you're coming from. I, I, I understand that you understand, but at the same time, for the purposes of what we're talking about, that came in pretty handy for parents. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mario, for spending this time. I am looking forward to hopefully seeing another book from you from Real True Stories from East LA. I'm going to have a credit um, to your author's page on Amazon, which is where you have the book for sale, and also to your Facebook page. And again, thank you so much for spending this time. I have really, truly enjoyed it. Like I said, I'm, I'm looking you. forward to, to seeing that book, that, uh, that another book from you with all those, uh, what I call down-to-earth neighborhood stories. Thank you, Marlene. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. So, guys, what did you think? Huh? I don't know about you. I love talking to authors. You know, I love talking to authors because, you know, yeah, you know, you have paranormal investigators slash authors. You have people that are just paranormal investigators. And then, uh, and again, what we were talking about when I'm talking to him is when people grow up, especially like when you grow up, and I'm saying you spend a few years in a neighborhood, not a couple. When you, uh, you get to know all these stories that are great, that are fantastic. They're just unknown. And I think everybody, that's why I even asked them about this. Did you, did you guys have a local boogeyman? Because sometimes parents do exactly what they did. They use somebody, you know, local, in other words, uh, to get their kids to obey. And, um, and as a matter of fact, I mean, if you look even at a lot of horror stories that they have about different boogeymans or the lady this, usually they're, the, the movies in Hollywood, they usually draw off of supposedly local legends of something that happened or somebody that did this or, uh, I mean, that's, that's, uh, look at, uh, the Freddy. Freddie was supposedly a guy that uh, had supposedly really existed, had killed kids, and then, you know, so a lot of the the origins of even now, a lot of horror slash slasher movies are people according, you know, to the storyline that at one time were alive, and they become boogeyman, and then, of course, then it goes in a different direction on the movie. So that's why I asked him about that. But, again, I think... Uh, sometimes because of the way shows are we get carried away thinking that really scary uh, disturbing ghost stories are only going to be found in hospitals insane asylums prisons which they are don't get me wrong they are but people think that um, that this is the place where you're going to get the big scary wow 
believe me, I know I've been to a lot of, I've been to Waverly, I've been to Moundsville, uh, I mean, I've been to Trans-Allegheny. Let me tell you something, those tours are chock full. Uh, they, they, people go there because of the wow factor. I mean, historically, <clears throat> excuse me, they're wonderful to be at just for the history. But people go there because, of course, they're thinking if there's any place that I'm going to have the shock is going to be when and it's like no yes they do maybe because of the odds but you would be surprised how many dark and disturbing ghost stories take place in regular neighborhoods in regular houses okay um i'm going to give you a for instance and um, you're gonna uh, you're gonna see. I'm gonna have a show on this probably air like a couple of weeks after this one. Yesterday, uh, I was out filming for another show up in a park here in, in Central Florida. Got talking to some people. We go back. We talk. This guy's telling me that he, when he's a kid, he's originally from New York, telling us the story how he's a kid. You know, up there they have the basements that people used, convert them and use for different things. So he says that. <clears throat> He's a kid. His parents kind of made the the basement like the, I guess, the, the hangout place for the kids and the teenagers in the family. So he's telling me the story how him and his friends would see these shadows. But he was telling me that the basement had, you know, those windows along basically the base of, well, the bottom of the house that basically are the top of the basement and he said that even while he knew and him and his friends were seeing these shadows that really didn't make sense they kind of blew it off thinking oh yeah it's a shadow somebody walking on the outside and it's casting a shadow through this little window and it's casting a full body shadow on the wall but he said yeah me and my friends we we weren't gonna try to figure it out but he says one day him and his one friend are down there okay and they see a full body apparition of a man and he said the guy was dressed in a suit from like the 1930s or 40s like he said like a guy in his 50s he says he saw the guy walk across and basically go down this little hallway like like out of sight but he knew that when you went there there was only a wall like there's no but him and his friend got up he says he looked at his friend his friend looked at him he goes did you see what i saw he goes yeah did you see the guy yeah so they both get up they go there of course knowing there's a wall like where is this guy going? first of all where did he come from and where is he gonna go of course there's nothing there so he says man this was you know i think he was 13 or 14 or 15 he was a teenager he goes even this one i couldn't like not think about that so he ends up either that day or the next day telling his mother about it and he tells Ma, you know, I saw this. What? Tells well, guess what? That spot where you saw him, I never told you guys about it, but the owner of the house here, the spot where you saw him at, there used to be a trap door up there. And apparently, he came home one night and forgot, didn't know, who knows what, that trap door was open. He fell down and he got killed. He fell through the trap door. Apparently, from what he explained to me, that trap door, the purpose of it at one point was, I guess, to get cold down into the basement. Because I said, you know, of course, I'm 
in Florida, we don't have any basements. But I said, what's the use of the trap down? He goes, no, that they would use it sometimes to get the coal down into the basement area. Apparently the guy didn't know, forgot, I don't know what, falls through the trap door, gets killed. And it coincided with, she says, no, it was a guy about the 50s, blah, 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 blah. And he got killed. He, that was the prior owner of this house. And he says that once they saw that shadow, I mean, they saw the guy. He says they never saw the shadows anymore along the wall. And I was like, that is fascinating. Okay. The only way, I think that's a great ghost story, by the way. The only way that you get those stories when you do that. You know, when you talk to people or from that neighborhood or stuff like that. I'm sure there's probably even people in that neighborhood who probably even knew the guy who used to live there or knew whatever from it. You know, catch that show when I do interview this man. He's great. He's got some fantastic stories. I was like, I could be with you here all night long. Just keep giving me these stories. But what I'm saying is the, the, the in-your-face ghost story and I from very very credible people in other words this is not somebody on a show that's trying to get you know his ratings or what this is stuff that happens to people that it happens to them they're not looking for it it just happens to them and um, you know if you're one of those that are into this paranormal or supernatural yeah it's great if you want to travel to these places these haunted places go ahead the historical uh, absolutely but the truth is you don't have to travel far to find a really, really uh, interesting, disturbing ghost stories about supernatural, about a lot of things. All you have to do is start looking around and asking the right questions to the right people. And you'd be surprised what you come up with. That will absolutely make your hair stand on end. So anyway, guys, like the video. Please subscribe to my channel. Again, I'm going to put out to the true believers out there, uh, if you could please... Uh, record yourself telling me uh, your ghost story you can either use your phone record it and send me the mp3 uh, go to my website uh, marlene at miamighostchronicles.com you can also find me on twitter on facebook that's where i stream a lot uh, because like i said i think that that is where i see absolutely the most interesting the best cases and the email doesn't quite capture it if you have no other choice and you want to email me the story okay but if you can, I would love for you to record it, either visually, video, or uh, just you know record yourself telling me the story. It doesn't have to be perfect. Don't worry about it. You don't need to rehearse it. Um, you know, if you only want me to use first names, I will do that. You know, don't don't and don't worry about if it sounds crazy. Crazy is fine with me. As a matter of fact, I love crazy. Crazy and weird. Why be normal? So, guys, thank you so much for viewing and for listening which by the way uh, I have podcast versions of all my shows on iTunes on Spreaker on iHeartRadio on Google Plus and you can go to my website if you want to download a podcast version either listen to it or download the mp3 file uh, if you want to go ahead and just listen to the show afterwards so again guys thank you so much I really appreciate my audience take care